Luke 14, the gospel according to Luke, and chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. The story I'm going to read it's, is a parable, and it's actually said in two different places in the gospels, Matthew and Luke, and there's a bit of a difference between the other. The other one's Matthew 22, 1 through 14. We're going to look at Luke 14, 15 through 24. But both of them are saying essentially the same thing, but just in some different ways. And we don't have time to explore those different ways today. But I would suggest those two scriptures to you and do do a parallel reading there of both. Notice here in the Luke uh, version of this story, which is a shortened version, he tells the parable of a wedding feast. And uh, you know what? We're actually going to... Let's see here. Let's just back up to 12 instead of 14. So 14 and then verse 12. Notice this, the parable of a great banquet. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. And bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have, or what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Let us pray. Jesus, we are grateful that we've been invited to your banquet. Teach us what that means this morning and let us hear that call. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, we've gone really church-wise, theme-wise, from altar, talking about an altar, to now talking about a throne. 
and Christ being on that throne because of what he secured at the altar, right? So again, it's, it's because of his work, his work done in the incarnation and in the atonement that he now has the superior place at the Father's right hand, this place of power and this place of rulership. And so really we can claim that Christ is the king of the universe, not just, not just the king of Israel, not just the king of Christians, not just the king of earth, but of the whole universe. And yet, we live in this place of it not being completely fulfilled, don't we? I mean, does it feel like God, Christ, is the king of the universe a lot when we're out and about? doesn't feel like that, does it? It doesn't look like maybe the kingdom of God has come, but it has. And yet, it is coming, and it will come. And this really is what Advent leads us into, honestly. I mean, Advent means come, coming, right? It's Latin for coming. So... <laughs> It's Christ's first advent, his first coming to us, but also now we look toward the second advent. So really you could think of it in terms of this. The Old Testament is looking forward to the first advent, and we, looking back to that advent, look forward to the second advent. There's always, as I mentioned the other Sunday, an aspect of hope and expectation in the scriptures. And so even though Christ is king of the universe, we still live in a not yet completely fulfilled time where the kingdom of God will finally come one day and all decisions will be made at that point. Right now, this is a period of grace. Grace to come under his rulership. Grace to actually go out and invite people. You see, in the text today, <clears throat> very simply, there's an invitation given. It's a great feast, we're told, and many of us have been feasting this past week, and so we know a little bit about what that looks like and would mean. Uh, there's wine flowing here at their feast, in particular in this day. There's also meats, which were not at every meal. You know, for a typical Jewish, you know, Jesus' diet would have not included meat very regularly. Maybe, maybe twice a week on the Sabbath um, and another day. But, but in times of feasting, that's when the meat's brought out. That's a big to-do. And there is a great feast here that we're told that certain people are invited to and they begin making excuses. And excuses are one of those things that we've all done before. We all do them, and yet you still end up missing out, no matter the excuse. It's, it's kind of like what I tell my students, you know, in, in college. Yeah, you can bring me an excuse, but the reality is you still miss. Like, you, you still have to make that up somehow if you do miss. Like, you miss, you miss, right? I mean, this is college now, so it's you miss, you miss. It's like a job. Um, I love that commercial where... <laughs> This dad, you know, or this guy, he goes in, he cracks the door, but he says, hey, I'm not going to be able to come in today. Uh, 
just uh, feeling a little under the weather. And then, you know, he uh, closed the door and there's a little baby standing there in the crib, you know. Uh, you don't really get to call in sick with family. You, know, you can make all the excuses in the world, but you still got to do your job. You know what I mean? And in a, in a way, this is, these are good excuses, honestly. Like, you start looking down through the excuse, you heard them just then. They're pretty good. You know, hey, I bought an ox. I bought a field. I, I got married, man, you know. Uh, these are all great excuses, and yet how tragic it is to refuse the blessing of God, even with our great excuses. Maybe your excuses are legitimate, but according to this story and parable about the kingdom of God, there is no excuse for not receiving the kingdom, not going to this dinner, not receiving what God has so richly prepared for us and so costly prepared for us. What a travesty it is to offer excuses and to cling to the mundane than to jump in faith and experience new life in the Holy Spirit. But it's going to take us jumping. It doesn't just happen by accident. This is something intentional that we receive. It's something intentional that we go to. This banquet, which represents heaven, this, this king, which represents the Father himself, This is the gospel that we are called to. And we're called to jump in by faith. The world, yes, is a terrible place, but our hearts may be the more terrible place. Haven't you found that to be true? Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. I know in my own life, yeah, I can complain about the world. That's easy to do. Complain about politicians. But we cover up our own sins, don't we? Pretty good. We find the same things at work that we hate in our own life. And yet we excuse them very handily. Let us not do that. In order to come to this dinner, we must come confessing that we need to be there. Isn't that the people who got invited anyway and actually came? We're the ones who needed it. The cripple, the lame, the blind. They were brought there. And then the outsiders. It's the people on the outside, the hedge. These, were, these would have been people who were strangers again, aliens amongst the Israelites. And he says, bring them in. Which would have been problematic, by the way, because remember in a, in a typical Jewish house, if you invited in a Gentile, your house was unclean. You couldn't go to, temp, you couldn't go to church that week. So this is a sacrifice for you to do this. And he says, bring them in. doesn't matter who it is. Invite them all. And none of those people who rejected the invitation will get to eat any of this. We snub so often what God offers to us. So because of the big game yesterday, right, I bought one of these antennas. I guess is what you call them. You know, it's, it's a little flat thing that gets me HDTV of local channels, right? It's like 20 bucks, you know, at Walmart. I buy it, I put it up, and now I can watch the game, right? Because I, I, we canceled out our, it's not a whole other story, but it canceled out all our other stuff. And so we didn't have local channels or anything like that. Couldn't watch the game, you know. So I bought this little thing in order to watch the game. And, and Jessica's like, you know, it's really crazy 
that HD is flying around everywhere, right? There's just airwaves everywhere. That's just you, you just have to have the right receipt. You know, this one little thing, 20 bucks, super thin, you know, just goes right there on my mantle. It collects, it receives these HD things and puts it right there on the TV. It's kind of crazy to think about. And, and I got to thinking, and I told Jess, I said, you know what? Grace is like that, isn't it? God's grace is continually being poured out, and, and we just don't even recognize it. Just like the airwaves just bouncing around in this room. You could place that little thing right here, and it'd start receiving it. And by faith, that's how we receive, the Scripture says. It's by faith. Just this little thing, faith. Just believe that God can do it. Live like God can do it. Move past just believing in your head to actually living as if He is the King of the universe. And then understanding will come. Too many of us have let our analytical self, me included, because I love you know, being analytical and all, logical, We've let that get in the way of faith. You know, because there's things that can get in the way of these airwaves, right? You, know, you want to put it up higher. You want to put it near a window, et cetera, et cetera. There's things that get in the way of our faith. One of them is being too demanding that we understand something before we do it. Just like the whole giving receiving thing. I, on paper, that doesn't look good for my retirement. On paper, that might not be the best decision. But it is actually better to give than to receive. And sometimes, just as Tammy and Carrie are both saying, ultimately, we have to actually do it before we can understand it. We have to live faith before we actually get more faith. You're not going to understand your way to God. And, and here's why. We're too corrupt. It, it's, we want to understand, but we're the ones who prevent ourselves from understanding. It's the craziest thing in the world, but that's why we're so jacked up. Truly. All of us. We're broken. Our heart is not right. Our mind, God says this in, in Isaiah. I've been reading through Isaiah again. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. But they can be. But they can be. But you've got to have faith first. Then understanding may come. And it may not. I would, I would suggest to you read Job. That dude had a lot of faith. Without much understand, you're given more understanding in the book than he is given. At the very beginning, in, in sort of the prelude to the whole story, you're given this whole picture in one and two of what's going on between Satan and God, actually. He doesn't get any of that. He's not privy to that, and God never tells him about it either. Not even when he shows up, he doesn't tell him. Forgive me, I'm taking some medicine. It's drying out my throat. 
and uh, compressing my head. So, you know, there you go. <clears throat> I was going to actually try to go out Facebook Live, and I'm just thinking, uh, that's not a good Sunday to start that, you know. Anyway, it's internal dialogue. Here's the thing. God's grace is being constantly poured out to people all over the world. But how many of us are truly receiving it? How many of us have become a faith receiver for His grace? Instead, we hide. We hide, and if you hide, there's no receiving. Do not spurn the gift of God. Do not cling to your own righteousness. Stop the worship of self this minute. It isn't worth it to worship self. Instead, start receiving and letting God be God. And you be you. <laughs> me be me. I wrote down these things the other week and I, and I sort of filled them out this week. Our enemy, I think in our culture, just three things. It's not like they're, they're fantastic things, but just bear with me. Relevance. I think relevance is an enemy. I actually looked up the term relevance. It has, it has to do with this. The quality or state of being closely connected or appropriate. That'd be relevant. That's, that's what it means to be relevant. No, notice again, the quality of your state of being closely connected or appropriate. You say, okay, what's, what's wrong with that, man? Why would that be an, an enemy? Well, should we be closely connected to this world? Or appropriate to the world's standards and desires for us? Like, in other words, we try to make Christianity relevant, right? But what we end up doing is becoming more like the world. Relevance becomes our enemy because relevant, being relevant, people say, oh yeah, that's very relevant. That's actually a comfortable place to be. That's an easy place to be. You, you're not standing out if you're being relevant Amen. to the culture. We do not live in a Christian culture. We need to start talk, stop talking like that. We do, our, our culture is very anti-living in Jesus Christ. They are not open to living in Jesus Christ. They are not open to the Holy Spirit's work. Now, they are open to believing in one God. They are open to Jesus' teachings and this thing, but not actually following them through. We have fooled ourselves to think this is a Christian culture. And our conformity is not a sign of our holiness. In other words, if we're conforming to our culture and, 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 and outsiders of the faith think that we're okay and just like them, we got a problem on our hands. We should not be just like them in our thinking, in our living. The temptation to be relevant is a type of peer pressure. Everyone else is doing it, so we give ourselves a break. Right? It's like, oh, well, I mean, you know, look at what the rest of the, the world thinks about that. You know, the politically correct language that we use. These thoughts that are pressed down. It's like a peer pressure. 
I mean, peer pressure is not done when you leave middle school. I've seen adults peer pressured into certain things. Just because they don't want to stand out. I, I, you know, I didn't end up saying anything just because, you know. No, I don't. I don't know. We're called to be a peculiar people. Not a rude people, but peculiar. Peculiar because we love and we lead with love, but our actions are different than the world. I'm not saying at work verbally disagree with someone. Look, my context, you don't want to do that kind of stuff. Except for in private with someone in a private conversation. I mean this, live a different life. That gets, why, don't, why don't they do that? Think they're better than us? You didn't say anything, you did it. Your life shows it. But if our life is lived like this, but our words are only different, what is that? It's nothing. We must swim upstream with the way that we live, actually. Everyone else is going with the flow, aren't they? Would always kind of just say, you know, they're just grooving. Everybody's just grooving. Somebody's got to be different. And I think the church is called to be the difference. I don't, I don't think that. I know the church is called to be the difference. Jesus is for the church. <laughs> we are not called to go with the flow. We are called to be a peculiar people, a kingdom of priests, shepherding those around us as under shepherds of the great shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. We must be ultimately only relevant to Jesus. That's where our relevancy lies. And the second thing was this I wrote down, comfort. I think our enemy, in other words, where we make excuses in in our story, you know, these guys made excuses. Our excuses are are more like this, comfort. We're going to choose the easy way. Given the opportunity, we're going to go the easy route, the path of least resistance, and, and we've almost baptize that, you know, efficiency as the best way. Let's just be more efficient at doing this. But efficiency is not always holiness again. Maybe it was more efficient for God to wave a wand to save us. But holiness required a cross. And Jesus, does he not require a cross? The only things that are raised are things that have been buried. We must be buried with him in order to rise with him. Wake up, O sleeper. Awaken to what God is pouring out constantly. Just as the waves are bouncing, HD waves all up in this room. We don't have a receiver. I don't have a receiver on me. God's grace is bouncing around all this room today. His words have been flowing off people's lips up here, strumming. Every strum was a, was a gift today. Every reading that was prepared and said was a gift. Every prayer was a gift. And many of us, it just bounces off, just deflects off us, just like HD channels are deflecting off us right now, not being received. God wants you to receive today His grace that is so lavished upon us, Paul says. But comfort gets in the way for us. Because in America, you know, comfort is ultimate. Comfort becomes a God. Truly. 
It's a God that we bow down to. I mean, there's a part of me, you know, that, that enjoys, <laughs> bear with what I'm just going to say, that enjoys the agony of you being read to. I know people hate to be read to. But reading the Bible together is in the Bible for one. That's what the early Christians did. They got together and they read together. And not everybody had a copy of the Bible. And now that we have a copy of the Bible, we're like, oh, you shouldn't read to me. I got it on my phone. I got it on the shelf. And yet we never read it. So we're willing to labor you here to read to you. Even though you're an adult. And almost enjoy putting you in an uncomfortable place. Sometimes I wish we had wooden pews. So that we have to be a little uncomfortable. I don't want to have a church, local church here. I don't want to create something that is so comfortable to be here that you fall asleep. That you could sit here comfortably and do nothing outside of these walls. That, that you would come here and you would think that this is the only thing that there is to be Christian. is coming once a week to a worship service. Please don't hear that. Please don't hear that. If this is not worked out in your personal time with Jesus, if it's not worked in your family time with your children, if it's not worked out at work, then it's not Christianity. It's a religion of the self. I've been caught in it. You've been caught in it. The religion of self, you forgive yourself. It's all, in other words, you add Jesus to your life because you've heard it helps. Helps you be a happy person. Why would you not? Giving? Oh, yeah. You actually get, I mean, we actually, today, honestly, we physically have proof, economically, that people who give actually receive more. They actually make more money. Even when they give, they make more money the next year. That's actually proven economically. So, so we, we kind of couple all this stuff together, and ultimately what following Jesus looks like is just improving my Self-religion. My worship of myself. No, no, no. This is about losing yourself in God. Losing yourself to others. Being poured out as an offering. It's about growing something to share, as we say here. Not something to keep. To share. Comfort. Comfort is an enemy we instead need the comforter, don't we? And then the last thing was just that I wrote down was ease. I think we, an enemy. I think we have an enemy in the church and in our Bible Belt culture that's just ease. Things should be easy, like, and it's almost like we look. Well, it's almost like this. A lot of times, the way I hear people pray, and it's like I can't wait till. It gets easy again. You, you know, I, I just, like, is that what we're, we're just trying to live to where we just have it easy? It's fascinating that Paul, he writes, one of the books I'm listening to this guy, he, he writes one of his epistles, you know, a lot of his epistles are prison epistles. He doesn't even mention that he's in prison. Like, he writes all this awesome stuff, and then at the very end, he's like, by the way, uh, remember that we're in prison here. It's like, the heck, Paul? I mean, like, that'd been the first thing I'd say. Hey, you guys gotta be praying to get me out of this joint, you know? I mean, the first thing I'd have said. And it is, and it shows how I pray. I'm like, Lord, man, 
One of the guys, by the way, went to prison with Paul. He wasn't even arrested. He stayed in prison with Paul. Chose to be in there with him. We just ease. You know, like we, we just kind of look at that as in a Bible Belt America. We're just like, ah, you know, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. But it's about where it stops. You know, I looked up the term ease, absence of difficulty or effort. Does that not describe a lot of Christianity around, like a lot of Christian? I mean, you hate to put quotes around, but I mean, that's the reality. We're living in a place that thinks they're Christian. We live in a culture of ease, but swimming upstream is never easy. Bearing a cross is never always easy. I would just challenge you during Advent, fast. I know you're going to be going to parties and everybody's going to be having a bunch of candies and food and sweat. Trust me, I've eaten, I I literally gained five pounds two weeks. Insane. Fast. Deny yourself. Maybe it's food for you. Maybe it's entertainment. Entertainment's its own big God in in our world. I've actually never said this publicly, but I've thought it for a long time. I feel comfortable saying it now. It's so sad to me, elderly people that just sit around and watch TV all day. When they could be praying for us who are still in the field. Yeah, they can't go out and serve the poor. They need to be served. Even Paul talks about that. The widows being served. But he also says, you need to be praying Giving all of your time to God. And it doesn't mean you don't get to watch TV and stuff. But it just makes me sad that even in my own family, I've seen people just veg out for hours and hours and hours. For what? Entertainment. That's what. And just the next show. It's not the entertainment industry's fault. We can dry that up by not using it. And of course, you know, Let's not even mention for millennials and everybody else these devices. What would a fast look like from that? I don't even think we'd be able to get up in the morning because that is my alarm clock. You know, I mean, faith that works is dead. The scripture says clearly, we got to do something. Is what I'm saying. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't like to name particular things because then people, are like, oh well, you're against you're against this, and you just don't want us to do that. No, I don't know what it is for you. But it's got to be something that we fast from that means something, that costs us something. What does that look like for you in Advent? I just, we're starting Advent this week, you know, 25 days here of our devotional book and, and then four Sundays leading up to Christmas. What does it look like to really prepare yourself to receive Jesus in a diaper? Because that's the way it really, I mean, that's what we're celebrating, isn't it? God comes in a diaper, swaddling clothes, i.e. a diaper. What a thought that is. He made a great sacrifice to become a baby. What are we doing to sacrifice for him? It it just, you know, I I was saddened today again. Just in the shower, I was praying and thinking. and, And literally right here in this community, there's some people that have made shipwreck of their faith. They've run aground. 
And I just got to thinking, did I pray for them? Was I, did I even notice? Did I reach out? Serious stuff, folks. Like, we have a serious job. That's what I prayed a little minute ago in our prayer talk. There's a whole world. When you look at a person, there's a whole world, a whole universe. Yeah, he's the king of the universe. There's a whole universe right here, right there, right there, right there, right there that he wants to be king of. And we're called to help. We're called to particularly help the outcasts, the outsiders. Just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's worth repeating. Just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How tragic it is for us to refuse the blessings of God because when we don't receive them, we are refusing them. Do not spurn the gift of God that is being poured out even this moment. Stop the worship of yourself this moment by submitting yourself to God. Because in the words of Jesus, according to Paul in Acts, it is better to give than to receive. And the only way to receive is to give. So give of yourself to God. That is... What he wants most is you. Not your money, not your talent. You. He wants you. Because he loves you. He loves you. You need to hear it. I need to hear He loves you. He loves you and he likes you. He likes what you have to offer. And he's got, a, he's got this big plan for us. And he doesn't want to wait any longer. You know, he's like anticipate. He, he's anticipating like, oh man, what if somebody did that today? What if you did, really? Just, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm all yours today. I receive, Lord. Help me to receive. Teach me what it means to receive. Lord, help us to do that. Amen.